Hello and welcome to Conversations with Jules and Ange. We are your hosts, Julie Smith and Angela Bleacher. We are two women passionate about helping others show up as their true selves in this world. We hope to support and inspire you along your journey of becoming the person you were always meant to be. Because the one thing we know with absolute certainty is that the world needs you. On today's episode, we are joined by Dr. Chad Garvey, a physical therapist who specializes in the treatment of chronic pain. Chad received his Bachelor's of Health Science in Physical Therapy from the University of Louisville and completed his Transitional Doctorate in Physical Therapy and Postdoctoral Certificate in Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapy from Regis University. He is a board-certified orthopedic specialist from the American Physical Therapy Association, a fellow of the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapists, and a certified strength and conditioning specialist. He currently serves as primary faculty for the Select Medical Orthopedic Physical Therapy Residency, as well as adjunct faculty for Bellarmine University. He is currently a full-time clinician, and his current research and clinical interests involve blending individualized exercise, manual therapy, pain science, and cognitive functional therapy in the treatment of chronic disabling neuromusculoskeletal disorders. We are honored to have Chad with us today to discuss pain science, as well as treatment strategies for the management of chronic pain. All right, so if you can't tell from Chad's intro, he is honestly one of the brightest humans I have ever met. I met Chad when I was a new grad practicing in Louisville, Kentucky. I was fortunate enough to land a job with a company who truly poured into their new grads, and they did a really good job of helping us figure out what the heck to do when a patient walks into the door. So this company had a mentor program, and of course, I told my boss that I wanted to be a part of it, and somehow... I got matched with Chad in this mentor program. And unfortunately, I don't, I really didn't know what I was getting myself into until Chad came and spent the day with me and my patients. And after he left, I pretty sure I went and had a very stiff margarita by myself. (laughs) And then I remember thinking, I know two things. One, I know I don't know what the heck I'm doing. And two, I think they sent one of the best therapists in the company to work with me and no one prepared me for that. (laughs) It was alarming. But after a few meetings with you, Chad, I really, I started to figure you out. Um, And honestly, since the first or second time meeting you, I've genuinely been intrigued with how you interact with people how you talk to people, educate them, and really just connect with humans, which is really why I wanted to interview you today. Your ability to mentor, in a, you mentored me in a way that made me feel seen and heard and understood. And it's honestly changed the tra- trajectory of my life. Um, and I know that it's, it's that ability to connect with humans is why you are 
one of the best therapists I know. I'm getting emotional saying it, but you are truly one of the best therapists I know. So thank you for being you. Um, thank you for giving us your time. And thank you for pushing me outside of my comfort zone. Well, crap. That makes it that, that now I'm going to make me turn 15 shades of red. Thank you so much. <laughs> Very sweet. Thank you. Well, Chad, and uh, no, I've just met you too, but I can already just tell why Julie's been so drawn to you. So just honored to have you here. Um, so maybe to start, um, we'll have you, if you're good with it, talk a little bit about yourself and your background and maybe your journey to being passionate about um, pain science and the, you know, treating patients with chronic pain. Sure. <clears throat> Well, thank you, ladies, for having me on. It's really great uh, to talk about this subject area because it's such a, it is an area of passion, is a, an area of uh, of intrigue. Uh, that in the words that Julie uh, so eloquently used. Yeah, I uh, I started um, uh, as a physical therapist um, back in '94 when I graduated, and um, and that was back before residencies and things like that. And I got into outpatient and orthopedic practice and that was you know seeing everybody with bumps and bruises and as i as i like to quickly say uh, tell my patients uh or tell folks how do we how do we market it's like well if you can point to it and it hurts we pretty much can treat it and and i did a lot of uh I pursued board certification back before residency where you had to study on your own and and i like julie you know had you know got to a point where i didn't you know i you, you practice for a little while and you realize, yeah, you, it's, you know, just because you have a diploma doesn't mean you know exactly what to do, when to do it and how much to do it. And so um, it was through those trials and tribulations where I just started. I wanted to learn more and figure out more. And I was like, OK, well, so I give a board certification. That'll that'll you know help me prepare. And, and that did. And, and, and did I felt like I did a little better. And and. Um, and practicing for a little while and then you start realizing, oh, I still have folks that I don't get better as quite as much as I want. And, and folks that, you know, certain diagnoses that don't make sense and, 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 and just a lot of uh, frustration as well as, uh, you know, enjoyment with the folks you do get better. But as I think you, you ladies will probably understand, um, you remember the ones that you don't get better much more than the ones that you do, at least I do. And um, so I pursued uh, a transitional doctorate. I pursued a fellowship in manual therapy because that was like the pinnacle. Those are the, those are, you know, the folks who were fellowship trained were the ones that I, I looked up to and looked at as being experts in the field and did that and, and uh, learned a lot more and, 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 and built my practice where, or continued to build my practice with that. And I went through the exact same thing again, where it's like you, your tools take you so far and yet you still have these folks that don't respond, that don't that even get worse with some of the stuff that you do from a hands-on perspective uh, as a manual therapist. And then, um, and so, and, and, you know, I'm like, okay, um, I'm, you know, the, the numbers uh, for fellowship trained manual or fellowship trained therapists is less than 1% in the entire country. And I was like, okay, I'm in the 1% yet. I'm still having these folks that, that I'm struggling with and that don't respond to what we're doing. And like Julie said, don't make sense. And so I started pick, uh, reading about, you know, pain, um, started taking some courses on pain science from guys like Dave Butler and Adrian Lowe. And, uh, and then you started seeing it trickle in to the manual therapy world, uh, kind of pain science concepts, because 
um, you know, uh, manual therapy, uh, if we look at statistics, um, you know, manual therapy and, and standard orthopedic practice, you know, doesn't take, you know, it leaves at least 25% of our folks out of the loop. Uh, so one in four of the folks that come in will have a persistent pain condition, um, probably more depending on your practice, but one in four folks in walking around have a persistent pain condition that doesn't respond to standard uh, orthopedic physical therapy. And so, um, and this was kind of a, a, an area that was in constant renewals, a constant research, and it forced this kind of uh, heavy reexamination of the treatment model that I had been steeped in. And uh, yeah, and, and then you started seeing these kind of pieces coming in that had nothing to do with the physical structure, that had to do with emotions and thoughts and beliefs and all these things that you know, every time that I talk to a, a patient, you know, and I try to understand their story, uh, Peter O'Sullivan is another, uh, uh, um, in essence, mentor, even though he's never mentored me, is a, a kind of a guy I look up to that goes with the idea of getting the patient's story. And, you know, they end up saying, you know, or you talk like a, a psychologist. I'm like, well, because the last time I checked, you know, the, you have a brain attached to your spinal cord and your nervous system and your body and pretty much. Uh, modern neuroscience tells us that the brain is the boss of the body. And if you don't understand it, if you don't understand the nervous system, um, you're kind of, you're trying to fight with one arm tied behind your back, uh, clinically speaking. And so it became this source, um, this ever renewing source of information and education and, and discovery, uh, not only from a clinical perspective, but also like Julie talked or uh, Julie talked about this kind of personal growth perspective. Um, that has been just so um, uh, rewarding uh, and has kept me has kept me passionate about the field because and I'm sure you I'm sure you know about how easy it is for folks to you know we hear the idea of burnout right uh, burnout amongst clinicians and and I I, I tell my residents and I was like you, you want to make uh, you want to make a a, a, a a clinician really upset give them a, a bunch of tools tell them it's going to work and then set them loose and, and watch them um, realize that it doesn't work near as good as what they were told it does. And, um, and, and then how do you pursue that, that, uh, that kind of quest of really trying to understand not only the physical structures, but also the cognitive, mental and, uh, nervous system structures that govern that, uh, that control. So long winded way of, of saying how I got into that pain. That's <clears throat> I expect nothing less from you, Chad. So. <laughs> <laughs> now that all the air is sucked out of the room. <laughs> okay, let's start. Let's start with a broad question. Explain to us what what is pain. What is what is its purpose? So yeah, this is one of the first conversations that I try to get into folks, whether they come in for a persistent pain condition or they just come in with the standard you know, orthopedic, uh, you know, sprain and strain, bumps and bruises. The purpose of pain, what we're, kind of, what we're starting to see more and more and more is that pain is one of the primary means of the body's and the brain's attempt to try and protect itself. Pain is about protection. And that protection comes from the lack of safety within the system. Um, and now that, you know, and you could pretty much say whether it's a nervous system or musculoskeletal system or all of the above, even the mental system and the, and the psychological and cognitive system. So 
the purpose of pain is to try and motivate the organism to do something in response to what is considered to be a perceived threat. Okay. Now that threat can be legitimate, like a serious danger, like fire or, uh, you know, or as in heat or a disease, like an immune system assault, like a sickness, like an illness, or it can be something that's perceived as being threatening. So, it, and, and that could be, you know, the sky is the limit as far as what might consider to be threatening by the system, uh, musculoskeletal or nervous or otherwise. And so the purpose of pain is to motivate the organism to do something and take action um, to try and protect itself and prolong its uh, existence in life. I love that. I'm taking notes. Say that again, to motivate. To motivate the organism to to take action um, in an effort to, in essence, ensure propagation, ensure survival, ensure, um, you know, advancement of itself and uh, continuance in this, in this world, so to speak. Love that. I know. And the one word that you said that really resonated with me was just that safety, right? When we are not feeling safe and kind of, I know we'll dive into more yep. of the, you know, biopsychosocial <laughs> model now um, and where physical pain with, you know, safety as a, as a whole being um, plays a role in that. So that I, yeah, that just really resonated that explanation. Good. Glad to hear it. I think you touched on this, but can you explain how we perceive pain? So, yeah. So, you know, pain, it depends on who you ask. And this is kind of a, a point of debate within the, within the pain community right now is whether or not it's a nervous system generated um, phenomenon, or it's even deeper than that. Dep- you know, the, the, the folks from um, the, the, Evidence in Motion and Adrian Lau's group and his research really focuses on teaching about how the nervous system generates pain. And it's a great model and I've used it for a long period of time. But what we're seeing right now um, from some of the guys in the NOI group uh, out of Australia um, is, you know, that it goes even deeper than the nervous system, that it goes into like they've been able to measure, um, uh, I think it was um, slime mold. Uh, <laughs> uh, changing movement direction based upon uh, adverse stimuli, which is basically like a barrier on a um, on a slide that they can measure, and, or they can see movement based around this barrier, and it has no nervous system. And so, it, it so the the idea is like, okay, does it does it go even deeper potentially than the nervous system? Um, but uh, you know, I I, told, I forgot what the question was. I apologize. Totally got How do sidetracked. we perceive pain? How do we perceive it? We yeah. perceive it in our body. We perceive it in our body. You feel pain in your body. You do, you know, whether it's generated by the nervous system, whether it's generated by some other deeper system, you feel it within your, within your physical structure. And so, you know, it, just because, you know, the idea a lot of times floating around is that pain is generated by the brain, pain is generated by the nerves. Maybe, maybe not. It's hard to know, but it does. But one thing is for sure is where you feel it. Um, and Bessel van der Kolk talks about this in, you know, body keeps the score is that, you know, you, you, the things that happen to you, perhaps from a mental or psychological, uh, basis, or perhaps it's stored in that area, you feel that in your system. So it's, 
so, and that's where the, the interesting part of the blend of the biologic with the psychosocial piece comes in and why pain is so interesting and, um, uh, and, and, and pain can be very motivating in that respect. Uh, can you, can you touch on what factors influence how we perceive pain? Like do different things make us perceive it more or less? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, um, the, so there's a, there's a model out there. Um, uh, Louis Gifford came up with a model called the, uh, mature organism model. And, um, it talks about the idea that you get information, you get information in from your environment. You get information from your tissues. So your, your structure, your physical structure gives you data. And the environment also gives you data. And then that travels up your spinal cord and into your brain. Your brain takes that information and pretty much references it based on everything that you've ever done, sit, said, heard, learned um, in your lifetime. And, and then chooses or and then basically figures out, do I need to how do I need to respond? What do I need to produce? How much pain do I need to produce? And that, that can be memories. That can be, like I said, lessons that you've learned, things that you've observed in other people, um, uh, past treatments, uh, emotions, where you're at plays a huge difference on uh, how much pain you're going to generate. So the exact same injury happening in an in a environment of safety, i.e. your home, is going to be way less painful than the exact same injury happening at a work environment where it's perhaps not as safe or in a public environment where it's not as safe. Um, so a, a, basically every factor um, that you can think of influences how much, how intense, and how often you experience pain uh, from, from a potential injury or potential threat. That's so interesting. It is so interesting. It is. I think I was watching maybe a video. I think it was an Adrian Lowe video too. And it was just the example of like the football player who like rolls his ankle, breaks his ankle, but he's, you know, five yards from the end zone and is still sprinting to the end zone, you know? So, but if he, and because of the environment and around him in that moment, he didn't quote unquote feel it in his body. He was still able to run on this fracture. But like you said, that in a different environment, if he would have had that exact same injury, um, his, what his perception and what he felt would have been completely different. Oh, profoundly. We say there's so many examples of things like that. And it's, and it's not, even, it's like, you know, what's his motivation, you know, to not feel that well, it's, yes. it's to score the touchdown is to get paid for it. It's to have the accolades of, family and friends and of the public and all these other things that basically recruit in Adrian's, you know, example, recruit the brain to pretty much shut down any signal coming in, <laughs> you it's know, so and, uh, yeah, yeah, it, it is, is. It's really impressive. Oh, that's crazy. Okay. So what, tell us what happens. Okay. You have pain and then all of a sudden the pain, tell us when does it become chronic pain? Is there a, a set cutoff of time? Yeah. So uh, the literature pretty much says that, you know, if you're, if you're still having pain uh, month three, then you're officially chronic. So, you know, which is kind of funny because it's like, okay, month two, day 30, you're not chronic. And then month two, day 31, you are now chronic. You know, that's kind of, it's kind of silly in that respect. 
but that, but you know, it's the literature has to pick a number and that's, and I get it. That's, it makes, you know, makes sense. Um, so that is the official time when it comes to chronic. However, um, we know there is a ton of different factors that influence or that can help predict a person who's likely going to struggle with pain or struggle with the resolution of pain in the same, in the, you know, in the comparable amount of time that it would take to heal a tissue injury. Um, cause most, we pretty much know that pretty much most of not all of tissue injuries heal by about six months, even, you know, profound injuries like a total joint replacement, uh, is healed by six months, but there is, pl- I mean, I think the numbers are one third of all joint replacements will have pain a year after they had their surgery. And so it's, it's like, okay, um, <laughs> Uh, we, we start to realize that, oh, this is a major problem. And um, if we just stick with only the physical structure, we are really leaving a lot of people out. Uh, other factors that determine that, like really high pain early on, like if you have, you have an injury and your pain level is, is you know, a, like if you can't get below a pain level of a five out of 10, that's very predictive of being uh, chronic. If you have other factors like psychosocial factors um, that can make it more likely that um, that pain can continue, uh, whether it's, you know, anxiety, depression, um, a a variety of different uh, things, even, you know, other medical conditions. You know, we know diabetics have more pain on average than non folks that are carrying extra weight um, will make you more likely to have more pain, longer bouts of pain and uh, struggle with overcoming uh, orthopedic conditions. When it becomes chronic, it, does it change in the brain or does it change in the body? Is it different from acute pain? Yeah, uh, I say the answer is yes. <laughs> okay, um, I asked a lot of questions. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's no, it's but it's 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 fair because people. One of the classic mistakes that folks make is they'll. It's like you know, are you saying it's all in my head, you know, or oh no, this is a real, this is a body injury, this is a legitimate body injury. It's like, well, it's both, and um, you know, and technically, technically, everything is in your head. There's not one thing that we experience that's <laughs> that doesn't require our brain, right? And so, um, it it's so, you know, it it just it can. I guess the best way to say it is that um, it's, it's this constant dance between again, how much danger is being perceived by the system and is that danger being addressed adequately? Um, And, and that could be the right information. Um, And what, and the way you could talk about it in your body is that does the body change? If, if the body doesn't start to see the structure, or I'm sorry, excuse me, if the nervous system and kind of, I say the nervous system, the brain doesn't start to see the body as being trustworthy, the very things that you do early on to try and help will become detrimental. So for example, the classic one is, is a limp, right? If you sprain your ankle and you're limping on it day one to day seven, that's normal. That's good. You're tr- the, the, the swelling and the pain is trying to protect that that structure so it can heal right you don't want to run or move on a structure that is um you know tissue wise not viable not stable however a limp month three month six is no longer helpful 
It's not, it's, it's not something that um, can basically allow for a full recovery. It can still be protective. And so you get this kind of um, this interesting transition where, um, you know, the, the persistent pain, even though it, um, you know, pain early on is, is there for protection allows for healing, but persistent pain, um, you know, pain that goes on beyond three months, six months impairs and inhibits recovery. And that's a huge distinction. A lot of, I'll spend time with my folks to to distinguish between the idea of healing and recovery and how they're not the same thing and they need to be differentiated. So when, how do you educate, I know you kind of touched on it too. It's when the tissue, when we know that the tissue healing has occurred, but then that pain is still there that while like as a clinician, like I 100% believe in here you, when you say you are experiencing pain, but you know, kind of differentiating the two while they still know that I'm believing that they are feeling pain, even though tissue healing has occurred. Yeah. So your question is how do you, how do you kind of walk that line a little bit? Exactly. To begin that process to help the recovery. Yeah. 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 So this is the, where, this is what's made, um, this is kind of the area that I think that the uh, folks who, because explain pain, explaining pain and pain physiology has been around for at least 15 years. And there was a study um, that was, or it was a kind of a commentary that talked about kind of looking back on 15 years of explaining pain and what, what things were gotten right, what things were gotten wrong. Um, uh, because a lot of the kickback was in relation to, we can understand it physiologically as, you know, as we do right now between the three of us, but how to communicate that to the patient is such a, it has so much more to do with, um, the understanding psychological principles and the idea of persuasion and conversation and safety making and things of that nature. And so this is where things like, um, concepts like motivational interviewing and, um, deep canvassing and trying to make the patient um, kind of almost question their, their beliefs a little bit and their understandings about what's going on. Um, So if I got a person who is dead set on the fact that, you know, my tissue is causing my pain and yet it's, you know, three to six months out, um, you know, one of the, you know, one of the things that we, I start asking, you know, I'll ask questions about the patient, try to make them reflect on what, on what their understanding is. Um, uh, one of the concepts that we teach within pain science is that you can't, you know, you can't pull a, uh, you can't pull a belief out of a person without having some sort of comparative belief to shove in its place. You, you basically, you're basically trying to remodel a house and you can't pull a support down and not expect to have another support to go in. So you have to have a, a, a alternative theory and be able to help them kind of uh, use that as, a, as an alternative to what they're coming in with. And so I might say, you know, what, what do you think is, is going on with your, uh, with, you know, with why your ankle continues to hurt? And it's like, well, my, you know, it's got to be this, this, this swelling, you know, or, it's, or this inflammation. We, inflammation gets demonized a lot. <clears throat> and so, and so, yeah, it's like, it's really easy and I'll identify. It's like, yeah, it's really easy to think it's like that inflammation is, can be a big contributor. But when I look at your ankle, I don't see any inflammation. I, we don't have any heat. We don't have any swelling. We don't have any redness. 
Um, all these things we know are signs of acute inflammation. And, and, and this is how we think about it. And so we use that as an educative opportunity to try and distinguish the difference between acute inflammation and maybe something else. Um, and I want to try and get the patient to question their own beliefs and question their surety of what they understand what's going on. And if I can get them to come to a, a point of saying, you know, I really don't know. I, I really don't understand. That's when... I have the best opportunity to try and insert an alternative theory um, that may sound a little crazy at first or may sound kind of, you know, very avant-garde, um, but allow them to legitimize what they're experiencing um, without uh, kind of basically saying, no, what you believe is not true. Mm. That's so, so insightful and this is a tangent but julie and i did an episode earlier about limiting beliefs yep <laughs> and and literally the only way to work through a limiting belief is to then establish a new belief like you can work on eradicating these limiting beliefs but unless you establish a new belief that resonates 100 with you you will never break through that so that's just very very cool um just in the pain science world that that model is 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 you know holds true there as well that we totally. have to now place it with that that new belief i love it yeah it's a that's one of the you know it, you mentioned julie mentioned cognitive functional therapy and peter sullivan is one of the pioneers in that field and um if you've ever seen any one of his videos of how he works with patients he'll do it on stage which is about in front of a bunch of other physios and it's <laughs> i was like well there's no pressure there right and, uh, and, and, and he's working with these folks and that's exactly what he does. He, he, you know, re reflects, he, uh, it tries to get, you know, folks to, uh, think about what their thought process is. Um, and then combining that with motion, which is heavily influenced in my practice. And, and it's such a combination of empathy, reflection, uh, questions, good information, accurate, si simple stuff that we learned probably in PT school year one. But we forget um, uh, we forget to apply because we get caught up in these models that are very complex, and we forget that some of the simpler stuff can be just as effective if it's put in the right context and the patient's ready or in a position to be able to understand it and hear it. Yes. I know. I, I was I might be, I'm sorry. I might be jumping ahead. I know we'll get into this. Um, in as we kind of talk through like treatment strategies, but do you offer like new beliefs or do you help guide them to establish their own? Uh, the answer to that would also be yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I so, you know, I, I, if I, I'll ask them what their beliefs are and I want to see what, again, what their thought process is. I want to see where they're coming from. One, because I want to know what I'm dealing with. And two, because I want to empathize with their belief pattern and, or their, uh, their belief system, because um, I want them to see what they're believing is totally valid, is totally like, I uh, say, understand, maybe not valid, but understandable and based upon their reasoning process and, and, and kind of go down that road. It's like, yeah, I could see where that, where you would make that connection in relation to, you know, you had your pain here, you thought it meant this. And, um, and, and yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, uh, and, and, and I'll just sit there and let them listen and, 
or um, I let them think about it. And many times it's like, well, what do you think? And I'm like, well, I'm glad you asked. Because <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and we have to and, and you have to allow for that period of silence that uncomfortable silence that nobody likes to sit through for them to uh to, to basically signal oh wait i'm i'm actually uh, you know when i say it out when i say my theory out loud it kind of makes sense but maybe there are some holes in it and and i'm here talking to a you know quote-unquote expert you know I'm, I'm interested to hear what they have to say and then once that happens and it's like okay let's plug that in and and see if we can tear it apart and figure it out together I vividly remember coming to your practice when you were in, are you still in the city? You're not, are you? Uh, Yeah, I'm a little bit outside of Louisville. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm across the river in in Clarksville, Indiana. So not too far. Okay. I feel like you had that, the patient you just described was in your chair. I think she had an ankle of a very intricate ankle injury that had been going on for a long time. And I watched you just you talk to her for like an hour, probably over an hour. And it was mm. this, we're just pulling her beliefs out of her. And I do think mm. she paused and was like, what do you think? You're like, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> exactly that. And I remember walking away thinking, wow, he really just genuinely listens to his people. Uh, it's 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 in ways in the classic, um, you know, you hear in medical school, or at least I can't remember who said it. But, you know, the classic medical school uh, paradigm is the patient will tell you what's wrong with them if you if you sit and listen and you ask the right questions. And uh, we forget that within the physical therapy world. We think we've got to put them through a bunch of movement tests and fancy, you know, the machines and, and so on and so forth. And uh, and I it, and again, I refer back to Peter Sullivan as one of my uh, kind of examples of how somebody does that just sit there and listen and, and really brings out what looks, what looks to be very simple. Like if you look at what, you know, I, I don't, I can't remember how long it's been a while since we worked together, but if you look at what's done, it's profoundly simple, but it's not easy. And that's another big thing we talk about over and over again, in the clinic, just because something simple, you cannot complete that as being easy. And, yeah. uh, and if you remember that it's, uh, it, it gives you a lot of grace and a lot of credit, the, the patient specifically, a lot of grace and a lot of credit for overcoming something that can be profoundly complex, but not necessarily complicated. Very true. Let's move on. Let's say someone's in pain. How let's talk about some treatment strategies. How can they start to reduce pain and promote recovery? So, yeah, it's such a, it's such a challenging question. Um, uh, the biggest thing is get, I would say the first thing you got to do is get people around you. You know, one of the, is get people that you trust, um, in this journey. Cause it, when you have persistent pain, it is a journey, you know, it's not, it's not a straightforward shot. Even, even the best of circumstances in the rehab world, the recovery is not a straight line. Um, you know, the, it, this has been written about in the British Journal of Sports Medicine, um, where, you know, the, the trajectory of recovery under the best of circumstances looks like a stock picker or a stock uh, a ticker. It does not look like a straight line. And so you'll have all kinds of ups and downs. And, um, and when you're dealing with persistent pain, it's even, it's even, you have bigger highs and lows. And so getting, getting a provider 
that um, is invested in your recovery, invested in understanding you as an individual um, is one of the first steps to doing that. Um, a second one um, would be, you know, it, it really, and having, I guess, having that person around you to give you education, that's actually helpful. One of the challenging things with, you see, with um, folks uh, is, you know, and this is, this people get upset when folks come in and they've, they've, uh, they've consulted Dr. Google about their, about their condition and they come in with a, a variety of different beliefs um, and a, you know, a perception um, uh, of, of, you know, expertise based upon, you know, a few blog posts or a few, you know, it, what have you. And I love the fact that patients do that. I love the fact that they, because it shows that they're invested in their recovery and they want to understand more. Um, but at, at the same time, you want to try to, it, m- much of the information on the internet is based around creating fear and creating a sense of sickness and a sense of kind of dependency and, and that, you know, that you're broken, that you need to, you know, uh, if you, if you feel like you're, you're not doing well enough, you'll, you'll make that purchase or you'll, you know, you'll do whatever you, what, whatever's, uh, being told to you. So things that empower you and that are actually helpful, um, finding, uh, not only people to help you do that, but, but information that you see as helpful as opposed to things that just, uh, create fear or apprehension or, um, or anger for that matter. Those are the top two that I would say to start with. I love that. Do you have any good resources? Yeah. So the international association for the study of pain is, um, is one of the, basically the largest international resource for, uh, folks, um, for clinicians, but they do have, uh, resource, you know, basically I have a ton of information on their website. That's very research backed. It's very, uh, much, very well scrutinized. And they do have, I believe they have some, um, uh, kind of, uh, patient focused, uh, layman's terms, uh, option or, uh, resources. Um, noigroup.com is a great one. Uh, it's, they, are, they do a really good job of, of, um, helping people understand how pain works and helping clinicians understand. There's a lot of resources from them that they do a good job. Adrian Lau's group, uh, evidence in motion, they do a great job. Um, and it's, uh, a lot of the international associations um, uh, are do a great job as well, but I would say the first one would be the International Association for the Study of Pain uh, because it's a because it's 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 a multinational group and the um, potential risk of bias uh, is 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 lower with the, with the information that you're going to get. Got it. And any other questions or thoughts? No, I think maybe just, and I know you just gave those two examples, but just maybe wrapping up, just leaving people with, yeah, like the next steps. So just to maybe summarize, um, I think the one thing you first said, which I think is so powerful is the, who are you surrounding yourself with, Mm. uh, that community, that support system, um, just how impactful that is, um, and kind of similar, but different, but also the what input you're allowing in in terms of information but also medical care um be you know almost like setting boundaries only allow in that that 
that is helpful to you. Um, So setting those boundaries, I thought those were like two very, very powerful points um, for people to, I don't know, take the next step and focus on right now for those who are suffering with chronic pain. Yeah, I love that term used input. I heard this great quote today. It said, watch your inputs. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, 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 you know, at the end of, at the end of your, whatever input you have, whether it's a blog post, whether it's a conversation with, with a clinician or a family member or a friend is you have to ask yourself was, you know, was that helpful? You know, did, did that, do I, is that something that I'm, I was glad I had even the things that are tough. You know, even the things that are like challenging conversations or challenging exercises or challenging um, experiences, um, we can, you know, we can, if you look back and be like, yeah, that was tough, but I'm glad I did it. That's a pretty good, in my humble opinion, litmus test to um, whether something is long-term good for you. Yes. I love that very much. Like doing the mentor program with Chad. (laughs) (laughs) Where Where you're scarred for life. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you everyone for joining us today. And thank you, Chad, for sharing your knowledge, your passion, and your expertise with us. We um we know just how impactful and truly life-changing this information is. And we are just very grateful for you. So um, grateful for having me on. Thank you. Absolutely. And if you like our content, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show and share it with a friend. All right. We are signing off. Love, Jules and Ange. <laughs>